Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, you can open to Exodus chapter 28. And if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, the passage we're going to be studying together is printed for you in the bulletin. And as you turn to that page, you'll notice quite a lot of words on that page. We uh, are in a section of, of Exodus where there are some long passages like this. And, we, you know, we could either as a church spend three weeks on the garments of the high priest or we can take it all at once, which is what we're going to do. The next couple weeks, Exodus chapter 29 is also uh, pretty long. And I know there's a lot to digest as we read through this together. But uh, this is all God's word. And so we uh, look to the Lord uh, wanting the whole counsel of God to instruct our Christian lives. So we're going to read this together. And, and you can bear with me through some of, of these details, but um, I'm not going to be able to cover everything in this passage. So if you have questions about anything in Exodus 28 that I didn't cover, please come and talk to me after church. And I'd love to do my best to, to answer any, any questions you might have. So Exodus chapter 28, hear the word of the Lord. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I've filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a press piece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, uh, checker work, a turban and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made, uh, made like it and be of one piece with it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. You shall, um, you shall make it. It shall be square and double to span its length and span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones, a row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, uh, adjacent, an agate, and an uh, amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. 
They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the uh, breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edge of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and so attach it to the front, to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them, the two ends of the breast piece, on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece may not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and uh, they shall uh, be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. Shall have an opening in the head in the middle of it, with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem, you, you shall make uh, pomegranates of uh, blue and uh, purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and, it, and its sound shall, uh, shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the, the turban by the cord of the blue and it shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall, be re it shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat and checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with, with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments, to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Whew, that was a long one. Let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Mighty Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, passages like this. Uh, passages that 
it would be so easy for us to just uh, skip over and, and say, this is too strange and too foreign, and what could all these details speak to us? Uh, but Lord, we b- believe that you have ordained for these words to be in your holy word, and uh, so we pray that your Holy Spirit would take them and apply them into our lives, into our community, into our church, in our day. So we open our hearts, we open our minds, that you would be our teacher now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today uh, we are studying Exodus uh, chapter 28 and this description of the garments of the priests in the Old Testament, particularly the garments of the high priest. And I'm sure as I was reading that passage, I, at least some of you are probably thinking, how do you apply a passage like this into our lives now? What does any of that have to do with our life now? I'm going to try to explain what I think it has to do. Uh, do it with our lives. But it's telling you a little bit about my story. Um, as many of you know, when the way that I became a Christian was I, I was a teenager and I was sent away to a behavioral modification program for a year and a half. A year and a half, my parents had me picked up in the middle of the night. I was sent to a place on the island of Western Samoa, and that's where I became a Christian. And uh, this program I was in was not a Christian program, and the philosophy of the program was that, you know, all these Kids had been sent there, they, you know, they're on drugs and they're dropping out of school. And they said, you know, on this surface, they have these behavioral problems. But all of these kids, underneath those behavioral problems are certain emotions that are causing them to act out in these ways. And so you have to get down to the emotions to understand the behaviors. But even under the emotions, there are certain core beliefs that these kids have about the world, about, especially about themselves. And they called them self limiting core beliefs. Some self-limiting core beliefs would be, I'm stupid, or I'm worthless, I'm good for nothing, I'm dirty, something like that. And it's from these core beliefs that the emotions come and then the behaviors come. And so what you have to do is you have to get down underneath those core beliefs. And what the program said is if you get down under the beliefs, you know what you'll find there? A magical child. That's, that's really what I was there to do, was to get in touch with my magical child. And they said, underneath all that, there's an innocent and a beautiful child that you need to reconnect with. Now, I'll tell you, I learned a lot from this program. But my experience was that all, all my friends there who were trying to reconnect with their magical child dug down. There, those behaviors were there. The emotions were there. The self-limiting beliefs were there. But once they got under all that, there wasn't a magical child. And, of course, the Bible tells us why there's no magical child there. We're not born innocent. and We're born in sin. We're born in rebellion against God. And so there's no magical child there. And so by God's grace, instead of learning to trust myself to my magical child, I learned that Jesus answered my self-limiting beliefs far more profoundly than any magical child ever could. And that's what changed my life. And you might wonder, you know, what does any of that have to do with Exodus uh, chapter 28 and the garments of the high priest? Well, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is our high priest. He's our high priest in heaven now. And I think that what I discovered in Samoa when I got sent away to this program was that what I needed was not a magical child. What I needed was a high priest. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go through four self-limiting core beliefs. Self-limiting, that's what they call them. And show how each part of the garments of the high priest speak profoundly to these four Self-limiting beliefs. And this is what the four beliefs are. I'm weak. I'm forgotten. I'm ugly. 
and I'm useless. Four beliefs that I know live in many of us. Many of us say, oh yeah, that thought, that idea, that belief about myself is, I'm dealing with every day, I'm dealing with every week in my life that I'm weak, I'm forgotten, I'm ugly, and I'm useless. All four are addressed by Jesus, our high priest, in this passage. What does he have to say to them? So those are our four questions that we'll answer this morning. So, four important insights from Exodus 28, and the first is this. What does Jesus say to those who think, I am weak? Well, you know, the first article of clothing in this passage I just read for the high priest is the shoulder piece. And you see it in verse 6 there, how it says, And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twine linen skillfully worked. Now, uh, ephod was a torso garment. It went from your thighs and up to your shoulders and didn't cover your arms or your legs. It's kind of like an apron, right? So the priest had this apron as one piece of clothing that they had. It says in verse 7, it shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. Now, I did it. I searched the Old Testament, I, this word for shoulder, I looked for all the uses that this word for shoulder was talking about a person, not like the shoulder of a river, but the shoulder of a human being. And almost every use of the word for shoulder in the Old Testament was in the setting where someone is carrying a burden. Your shoulders are what you use to carry a burden. And so what is the burden that the high priest is carrying on his shoulders? Well, Verse 9 tells us, you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. So there's these two onyx stones that have the names of God's people written on them. And then it says in verse 12, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. So the meaning of the shoulder pieces is this. The high priest carries the burden of the people of God on his shoulders. The high priest carries us on his shoulders. Now, you know, most of us, when we have that thought that I just, I just feel weak, it, what it means is that there are certain burdens in our life that I'm just like, I'm just not strong enough to carry this. You know, maybe it's the burden of your work and you're just like, the work is too much. I feel the weight of it. Or it's my, my marriage or my children or I have, you know, depression and anxiety in my life that is this burden that I just, I don't feel like I can carry it. That was true of the Israelites that received this high priest back in the Old Testament. You know, they were slaves who just come out of Egypt. They're living in tents in the wilderness. They're going to wander for 40 years. Then they're going to have to go into the promised land and, you know, take the promised land. And so there's a tremendous amount of burden on their shoulders. And I remember, you know, when I first became a pastor, one of the first kind of crises that happened in our church, I called a, a mentor of mine, Mike Kelly, who I would call and ask him for advice about being a pastor. I'm like, hey, I got this crisis. My first, you know, I'm a new pastor. I'm young. What do I do? And, you know, he really didn't have a lot of advice for me. All he said is, you got to have broad shoulders and a big heart. He's like, broad shoulders and a big heart. And I was like, all right, broad shoulders and a big heart. Let's get in there. And, and I think actually it was powerful. And it was like, that's what you, as a pastor, actually that's who we are, not just as a pastor, for each other. The Bible says we carry one another's burdens. We're supposed to have broad shoulders and big hearts for one another. But what this passage says is that whatever it is that causes you to say, I am too weak for this, 
It's not even primarily your fellow Christians who carry your burdens with you, but Jesus, your high priest, is carrying you on his shoulders. He's the one, he's the one with broad shoulders and a big heart. <laughs> Broader shoulders than any of us, bigger heart than any of us. And he's doing that today. He's doing that now. He is carrying you on his shoulders. And, you know, some of you might have thought, you know, I feel so burdened. I don't even know if I can go to church. i got to get myself out of my house. i got to go to church. Why would you, why'd you get here? He carried you on his shoulders and brought you here. Sorry. And I'll tell you, this is one of the first things I learned about Jesus as a Christian when I was in Samoa. Um, because, you know, this program I was in, you were only there you were there until your life was changed. So it was no definite amount of time. And so they said, you know, when you're loving, when you're outgoing, when you're a leader, when you're hardworking, when you're all these things, then we'll let you go home. And that's why I was there a year and a half. It like took a while for it to kind of like the change to happen. Uh, and, you know, when they were saying you need to be all these things, I was like, I'm not any of those things. You know, I'm this punk kid who got sent away. I'm depressed. I don't even want to be alive. I don't even want to wake up in the morning. I'm supposed to be all these things. And one of my very first prayers to the Lord, I was an atheist before this, and I said, Lord, I don't even know if you exist, but I can't be who they want me to be. And, you know, they'd wake us up with a whistle in the morning at 6 in the morning. I'd wake up and I'd say, Lord, I'm going to go into my day and I'm going to trust you're going to do something. And he would. It became clear. I'd laugh a little bit. I'd maybe make a new friend, something like that. And it became clear to me that he took seriously my prayer. And this punk kid who's on the other side of the world for being, acting like an idiot, I was amazed that God paid attention to me. He carries us. That's what the high priest said. That's what I needed. Magical child doesn't have big shoulders, right? <laughs> Jesus got big shoulders. And so to those who think, I am weak, Jesus says, I'm carrying you on my shoulders. Rest in me. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. But you'll notice that, you know, that prayer, that first prayer, had kind of buried in it another self-limiting belief as well. Not only that I'm weak, but, you know, why would God pay attention to this kid on the other side of the world who doesn't even believe in He's been an atheist. Why would God even pay attention to me? And so this is the second, second self-limiting belief. What does Jesus say to those who think, I am forgotten? And that might be you. You think, I, f I feel forgotten. I, like, I don't think anyone pays attention to what's happening in my life or knows what's happening in my life. You know, I feel maybe kind of invisible. Even maybe at church, I feel kind of invisible. Well, twice this passage says that the high priest brought the children of Israel to regular remembrance before the Lord. Look at verse 12 again. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder piece of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. And then again, if you go down to verse 29, it's talking about the breast piece, which we'll talk about in the next point. But it says in verse 29, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment on his heart. When he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breast piece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be on Aaron's heart. When he goes in before the Lord, and Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Now, a couple questions about that passage. First of all, some of you might wonder, what's the Urim and the Thummim? And there's a lot of speculation among Bible scholars about 
what that is. The Bible uh, d- tells us very little about the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, they were likely some kind of stones or gems that were attached to the ephod. And they indicated whether what the high priest was saying was from the Lord or the not or not. So, you know, when it, you know, it's talking about judgment in this passage where it says Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart. That means that the high priest would make judgments, would make decisions for the people of Israel. Like if there were issues of like kind of national concern, a very big decision about what's God's will for God's people, the high priest would make a judgment and the Urim and Thummim would tell whether this was in accord with God's will. And so priests not only offered sacrifices to God, but brought God's revelation to the people, okay? We don't know much about the Urim and the Thummim, but a a second, probably more pertinent question is, it says that the high priest brought the people into regular remembrance before the Lord. Why does God need to be reminded about about us? Doesn't God know everything? Isn't he all-knowing? Did God forget about his people? And well, remembering in the Bible, when the Bible talks about remembering, uh, it's not something that you just bring to your mind, like, oh, I forgot this, it wasn't in my mind, now it's in my mind. Remembering is about a recommitment. You know, like every Sunday we take communion together, and what do we say when we're taking communion? Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It's not because we all forgot that Jesus died on the cross. It's that we are recommitting ourselves to the cross. Oh, yeah, the cross is the center of my life. I receive the grace that's offered to me. I receive the love that's offered to me. And I, and I recommit my love to the Lord as I come to his table. Um, it's the same with God. God's remembrance of us is not just that he knows in his mind that we exist. It's his regular active commitment in pursuit of us. Psalm 105 says he remembers his covenant forever means he stays committed to the promises he's made to us. And uh, Hebrews chapter 7 describes Jesus as our high priest. That's the main place where, you know, when we read uh, Exodus 28 and we say this passage about Jesus, it's because of, of places like Hebrews 7. And this is what Hebrews 7 says, that the former priests were many in number. That's the priests in the Old, Old Testament that we're reading about now because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So, you know, the priest would die, we need a new priest. And then the next, their son would die and we need a new priest. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Jesus is alive in heaven. And so consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him since, and listen to this, he always lives to make intercession for them. Intercession is prayer. What this is saying is that the priests from Exodus, you know, would go into the the tent of the tabernacle and they were offering sacrifices daily. And the high priest once a year would go into the most holy place to make atonement for the people. But Jesus has once for all gone into the true temple, which is heaven, God's very presence. And he doesn't need to offer animals over and over again because he's offered his own blood once for all for all of our sins, past and future, And Jesus lives there to speak to God about us. I think that can only mean that you and I are a regular topic of conversation between God the Father and God the Son. He is talking about us. You know how it is like when you find out like someone says, oh yeah, I was talking about you the other day. And you're like, you were talking about me? Like, um, was it good? Or, you know, and... (laughs) And they're like, oh, yeah, we're just talking about how much we love you. And you're like, really? You're talking about me? Like, wow, you thought about me when I wasn't even there? That's God the Father and God the Son are doing that all the time. And so to those who say I am weak, I'm not sure I'm able to carry the burdens of my life, Jesus says, I carry you on my shoulders. 
And those of you who say, I'm forgotten, I'm not sure anyone knows or cares about what's happening in my life, no one thinks about me or calls me or remembers me, Jesus says, I am ever talking about you to the Father in love. There's a third self-limiting belief that I think is also addressed in this passage that I think is immensely important in our culture. And it's, it's this. What does Jesus say to those who think I'm ugly? And, you know, we live in a culture that has an obsession with physical beauty. And, you know, does the Bible have anything to say about beauty? Well, beauty is, of course, an important part of this passage, right? What does it say in verse 2? And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. These garments were for beauty. And, you know, the biblical principle of beauty is that love bestows loveliness. Love bestows loveliness. When one of God's creatures is loved, they become beautiful. Loved things are beautiful. And the world says, if you're beautiful, then I will love you. The gospel inverts that and says that you are loved in Christ perfectly and then you become beautiful. You become radiant. And that's why, you know, the Bible's teaching on marriage, for example, says that when a husband loves his wife, you know, sacrifices for his wife, loves his wife the way Christ loved the church, nourishes, cherishes his wife, she becomes more beautiful as uh, time goes on, which means that the beauty of a wife is the responsibility of a, of a husband. It's his responsibility. The more he loves her, the more beautiful she's going to be- become. And we all know people who have been, you know, the, the old guy has been married for 50 years. And he's like, my wife's more beautiful today than she was the day that I met her. And listen, that's not just a sentiment. That is a real thing. And you might be asking, well, like, how can it be that the old lady is more beautiful than the 23-year-old that he met when he, first, when he first met her? And it's because our understanding of beauty is distorted. Or we can say our understanding of beauty is narrow. And, you know, actually, uh, I had an experience of love bestows loveliness. Just this week, uh, my family got about nine months ago a little dog named Poppy. She's a cavadoodle, and uh, she's been growing these last, you know, nine months, this beautiful fur coat, and, uh, you know, it's so soft, and you put your face in it, and she's so cuddly, and we'd bring her down to uh, Boulevard Park, and everyone would be like, oh, that dog, she's so cute. She'd walk around, and she knew, knows everyone thinks she's so cute, and, but, you know, we were on vacation. We went on vacation for three weeks, uh, just a few weeks ago, and we should have got her groomed like before the vacation. And then we went on this vacation and over those three weeks, her hair got all matted and all gnarled. And so we finally got to the groomer. It was like, took like four weeks. And they said, well, there's nothing we can do about this. We just got to shave it off, you know. And, it was like, and so Shannon, my wife, goes to the groomer to pick up the dog. And she's just kind of like, I don't think that's my dog. <laughs> you know, she's all like a skeleton, like all bony. And we're just like, oh, Bobby, like what happened to you? And so, uh, so we bring her home, and we're running around, and we're just feeling bad. And we're like, are we sure this is our dog? And she's sitting on the, the uh, chair, and you can tell, you're going to think this is crazy if you don't have a dog. There is shame in the dog. She's, like, embarrassed. And she's looking at us like, do you still think I'm cute? Like <laughs> and we're like, we're getting there. Like, and so Shannon hold her and she would just like tell me you love me you know so it's been a few days now and we've been kissing her on the head and loving her and and all of a sudden there's a new beauty a, 
She's adorable in a new skinny kind of way that we hadn't, we didn't, hadn't seen before. You might call her regal. She's this regal dog. Love bestows a loveliness. And I'm telling you, she's transformed since she came home. And she's been loved and she's been accepted. And uh, what does it have to do with high priest clothing? Well, the main piece of the ephod, the clothing of the high priest, was the breast piece. And this was the part that was beautiful and glorious. And I want to read for you what it says about that breast piece. Verse 15. You shall make a breast piece of judgment in skilled work, and in the style of the ephod you shall make it of gold, bl blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen you shall make it. It shall be square and doubled at a span its length, a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. And the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, uh, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold filigree. And shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. Now these are precious stones. They, many of them precious now. They would, absolutely would have been precious, precious in, in the ancient world. And God says to his people, this is who you are to me as my people, like these stones, glorious and beautiful. And Jesus, the high priest, that, he says that's who we are. And Jesus says he wears us on his chest as the high priest, unashamed. And each of these stones, unique. You know, they're all different. It's just like all of us. We're all different. We're a different glory, a different beauty. And Jesus says, I like each one of them. I like each one. And in Jesus, we're beautiful. Now, if you struggle with this belief, this self-learning belief in particular, you might say, well, you know, it's great that Jesus thinks I'm beautiful. My mom thinks I'm beautiful too. Does anyone else think I'm beautiful? Uh, maybe you think no one else does. Maybe you think this is about an inner beauty. Wrong. Psalm 34 tells us that those who look to the Lord are radiant and their faces shall never be put to shame. The faces of people who have been loved by Jesus are beautiful. It just is. A loved face is beautiful. Joy is physically beautiful. Kindness is physically beautiful. That, that is absolutely true. We all feel that. We all know that. Even though our culture doesn't say that that's beautiful, it is radiant, it's shining. And so Jesus says we are beautiful, and in him we are loved, so we are becoming beautiful. His love bestows loveliness on his bride, the church. Now some of you will say, okay, I, I understand these truths. That in Jesus, I'm beautiful, I'm delighted in, I'm precious, I'm remembered, I'm strong. That means that Jesus is good despite the fact that everything's wrong with me, Jesus is still good. And I'll tell you, that's a precious truth. But I would, I would love it if there was something right about me too. It wasn't just everything's wrong with me, but maybe there's something right about me. You know, he, so far he is doing everything good. Is it wrong for me to want to do something good for God also? And I think that leads to our last question. What does Jesus say to those who think I'm useless? And I think the answer to that comes in verse 31, where it says, 
you shall make the robe of the ephod olive blue, and it shall have an opening for the, uh, for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them, uh, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. Now, a couple of important notes from these verses. The first thing to note is that the garments of the priests are made out of the same materials as the tabernacle itself. You know, the blue and the, and the gold, and there's, they're embroidered. And so it's like the priest who's got this robe on him looks like the tent. So the priest is a tabernacle himself. The priest is a tent. The second thing you know is that pomegranates are hemmed uh, into the fabric. And so the, uh, the priest is, on the one hand, is like a tabernacle. On the other hand, the priest is like this, this fruit tree garden. And what's happening in these verses is that just these few verses are tying together some of the major themes of the Bible. The Garden of Eden, where the fruit trees are. The tabernacle. The temple, which also had pomegranates, you know, uh, kind of engraved into it. All of these are places that God dwells. And now the priest himself is a temple. And that means that ultimately God wants people to be his temples, not buildings. And, you know, that's exactly what we read in the New Testament. Jesus says that his body is a temple. And then in 1 Corinthians it says, all of us, if you are in Christ Jesus, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So how, do, um, so how does Jesus answer that dreaded thought that I am useless? If you are in Christ your body carries the very presence of God wherever you go. You go into your workplace, you just carried the presence of God into your workplace, into your family, into your neighborhood, into your friendships, into this church. You carry in your body the glory and beauty and the hope of the world and the love of Christ is in your body. How could that ever be useless? And you know, St. Augustine in his book, Confessions, which is kind of like his life story, talks about, you know, puzzles over this thought that God dwells in us. And he says, you know, when God dwells somewhere, it's not just like a drop of God. You don't have a drop of, you know, we all have a little, God's an ocean and we all have a drop. That's not how God is. If God is present somewhere, all of God is present there. And so that means when it says that God dwells in us, all of God dwells in us. And Augustine was like, you know, if the almighty, holy, powerful creator of the universe is dwelling inside of me. Like, how do I not just explode and like shatter to pieces with all that power inside of me? And he says, actually, that's not how it is. It's just the opposite. When I came to God, I was already shattered in pieces. And God pours himself into me and all the pieces get bound together and healed. And he forms me into a vessel so that I can contain him. And so we are vessels who carry the presence of God, and he's put the pieces back together. That's who we are. We have a high priest who carries us on his shoulders, who speaks about us to the Father, who wears us on his chest, beautiful and glorious and unashamed, and makes us a vessel for the very presence of God. And I guarantee you a, magic child, a magical child won't give you anything close to that. Only a high priest can, only the high priest can and will. So today, let go of those beliefs. I am weak, I'm forgotten, I am ugly, and I'm useless. 
and replace them with the only truth you will ever need. I am in Christ, and he is my high priest forever. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word shows such an awareness of our frailty and weakness, the burdens we carry, uh, the hardships of life in a fallen world. You approach us with compassion, and we praise you and thank you for that. We thank you that Jesus is a high priest forever who has passed into the heavens, who carries us on his shoulders, speaks to you about us. Lord, would the hope and grace of these passages live deeply in our hearts, would they comfort us and assure us that we might rest in him. And it's in his name we pray, amen.